Welcome to Food Love, the space between terroir and the Tao of food. We're broadcasting from the tribal ancestral lands of the Jamestown Sklalem, and our guest today is Mackenzie Grinnell. Mackenzie, thank you for coming. I uh, am so happy to hear you speak about traditional foods. I think it's really important for all of us in this region to understand. And I'm glad that Christy Kistler uh, told me that you had just spoken at the Chimicum High School. And I remember that we had met a long time ago. Do you remember that? Um, at a buffet line uh, when they were dedicating mm-hmm. the canoe. Yeah, I do. At the North- <laughs> Eating yeah. shrimp, I think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so, you know, we would love for you um, to introduce yourself in your own language, if you'd like. And... Um, and say a few words to mm-hmm. kind of ground us. Yeah. My name is Austin. My English name is Mackenzie Grinnell. I'm from the Prince family here at Jamestown Sklalem Tribe. My father is Cheech Mahan or Jack Grinnell. And my grandmother is Quilsid or Elaine Grinnell. And I'm also from the James family from the Lummi Nation. And I today's a good day, and I'm excited to be able to have a conversation with you about our foods. Yeah. So do you want to start us off with, I mean, that, that was beautiful, not that I understood all of it. Mm-hmm. Were you um, <laughs> repeating what you said in English after yeah. you spoke? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. And uh, Christy said you had such an inspirational talk with the students at Chimicum High School. And I knew that you had been teaching for a while. And I'd love to understand how you came to that place of wanting to teach people who were not part of your tribe about very traditional foods. And what and what does it mean when we're talking about traditional foods? That might help our listeners too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess when we talk about traditional foods, it's, you know, what what my ancestors ate and what the, what grows here naturally. And, you know, there's a lot of other foods that have come in and naturalized here but really when we talk about traditional foods it's you know the shellfish and well everything from the the salmon and the in the water to the shellfish into the prairies and up into the mountains all the food that grows here and that my ancestors took part in in shaping and being a part of that landscape that's what we're really talking about and it's been you know it, i i've had really great mentors and elders like my grandma who who's a storyteller who shares so much knowledge when she goes out and tells stories to anybody who wants to hear them. And so I guess that that's really what, that's what really inspired me to, to share what I know and what I can share too, because there's, there's some, some information that I don't share with non-native folks and that we keep to ourselves, but it's been enlightening to be able to share what I know and what I can share. And the response people have is you know, past what I what I would expect and people are so thankful for it and it changes mm-hmm. people's, you know, lives. So I've talked to people, you know, a couple of years later after I've spoken to the first time, like, yeah, we went out and did this and we noticed it and we didn't over harvest it. And they were so proud to to have learned something from me. And then I was so proud of them too to teach them a lesson in a good way rather than, you know, tell them about like nettles and then have them go out and tear up their whole nettle patch to harvest it and then not have it come back. So yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be able to teach people to go out and harvest in a good way that 
you're adding to the landscape and not just taking away from it. Yeah. Now that's a really important concept in, in my brief experience out here. I've been through some nettle patches and harvested and, and done it with, mm-hmm. with some, do you know, um, Skeeter? Skeeter is like a, a local resource yeah. that you might have encountered, mm-hmm. but he does some herbal medicine gardening and then did a talk about that. But the concept that you just mentioned, which is sort of some things that are shareable and some things that are are just really kept very closely traditionally, that's something that I'm familiar with as well through Taoist traditions in in preparing foods and that there's in some ways mm-hmm. um, a deep connection to the the value of the tradition and and being ready to sort of um, have that knowledge and to to be steeped in the culture and to be steeped in the the tradition of valuing the learning around it so it it you know makes sense to me it's I, I find it amazing that that you can share so much of of what you have to offer and you think it's a grace it's a grace to be able to share it with young people who can then also relate differently to the lands that they find themselves on right that that piece in in terms of valuing the lands valuing your relationship to it leaving it to regenerate its, its um offerings like that's that's an important concept that doesn't always follow through in the rest of our food systems. So like, even for mm-hmm. that alone, I think I'm hopeful that people kind of take something away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with teaching kids, there's so much fun, you know, bringing in something for them to eat. All the, all the kids love that. And, you know, it's something they haven't had. They're like, what is this? Is it going to be gross? <laughs> and then one, one person will try it. Like, wait, this is pretty good. And then all the other ones are like, I want to try it too. Nice. I want to try it too. And then, you know, and then like, hey, so don't go and just cut it all down. Don't go cut that nettle patch down because you get stung, but go harvest some of it and keep some of it later too. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're right, always... Right, right. So, I, I like, I love teaching adults too, but um, teaching kids is fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of wonder there. I wonder when you're bringing in the nettles, give us yeah. an example of what you bring in to let them understand what, you know, to have a relationship with nettle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll try to bring in fresh nettles and and then some prepared ones too, maybe some nettle tea. But starting with like the fresh, like this is what it looks like out there and just kind of try to paint a picture and bring in some photos too of this is where nettles grow and try to, you know, have everyone think of where do you see nettles and like kind of swampy, like wet places, not in the direct sunlight, you know. And then if anybody wants to get stung by nettles, I don't know. Sometimes I do that and then sometimes I get in trouble for doing that. But, you know, everyone's been stung by nettles. Um, but then show them how that you can handle them properly so you don't get stung. Right. Well, it's a good thing to know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so because there's ways that you can handle nettles. If if you're being conscious, you're being, you know, kind to the nettle, the nettle's not going to sting you. And also if you have that little bit mm-hmm. of wisdom of how to handle them and then... Mm-hmm. You can even just roll up the, the leaves in the right way and chew on them and, and eat them and you won't get stung. And oh. the first few times I was te- like showing somebody that, and I was like, I was fine and I get stung. And then I was eating one one time and I got stung on my tongue. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I no. Guess I wasn't being careful. <laughs> That's got to be. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of it enough. <laughs> but, you know, this sting goes away a little bit. Also, you have to be careful of, you know, anybody who has bad reactions. But. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because I've never thought about whether you get stuck. I have never tried to eat one without cooking it or having it in tea. Um, sounds very brave to do. Yeah. And you really have to be aware. You know, there's this <laughs> idea from the tradition that I come from that when you eat, you should pause, right? And and all you should be doing, in fact, um, in the mm-hmm. um, in the deepest traditions of, of Taoism, you don't even talk when you're eating because your focus should be on that process of absorbing that chi, that energy from the food itself. And so there's a reverence for it. And, and I can think that if I were to try mm-hmm. to do the nettle eating like that, yeah. I would definitely have to be in that zone. Um, and <laughs> I would love to see somehow, you know, I wish we could show a yeah. video of you rolling up a nettle leaf. Maybe we'll have to have you back when it's nettle season again. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's I, I harvested some and I definitely got stung. I, you know, we used uh, clippers and a glove instead. So I definitely need to study with you. Because nettles are so nutritious, right? They're high, aren't they high in B vitamins? Mm-hmm. And they're just like a great yeah. source for different kinds of um, issues in the urinary tract and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like it's endless. Every time I'm talking to somebody about nettles, they'll bring up something else. I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that, you know? And, and they're just so full of all these micronutrients that, you know, you would have to eat an entire salad or you can eat like two leaves of nettle. Um, and, that, and that's something else that's changed in, in, that, in our traditional diets is that we don't have the same level of these micronutrients in our diet. And so that's kind of, mm-hmm. with a lot of other things, that's kind of shows or is kind of added to some of these, you know, systemic diseases or like health problems that Native folks have with while not having access mm-hmm. or while not having or we're not promoting our traditional foods. Oh, wow. Wow. That's like a very, that's a big concern, really having the access to that food that's traditional. Um, I hadn't even begun to think about that, Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. And are you finding that within your own tribe um, that y- your young people are embracing the learning of these traditional ways of gathering and and eating? I, th- I think it's kind of mixed, you know, like there's, there are a lot of young people that are really excited and really want to learn a lot. But then, you know, life is very busy and going out and harvesting things takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of intention to go out there and do it. And so there's a lot of people that don't have that time too, which and so that's part of what we do is we try to get get a lot of these things and we go out so that we can give them to these people that that are being that are really busy and you know, have full lives and can't make the time to do it and maybe if we add these little tastes into their diet maybe they'll want to well inspire them to make a little bit of time and just to start out with a little bit you know um mm-hmm. and hopefully that grows more and more but yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of elders that come to our programs and learn from us. And it's it, it's because they, they don't know a lot of this information because with colonization, this information was blocked and it was erased. And we had a lot of foodways that were kept secret and were able to pass those down. But a lot of them were destroyed and made illegal all of them were made illegal at one point wow but so we're we're working with other tribes too and all of our plant people that have all this information are coming together and and teaching each other to fill in all these different gaps for Mm -hmm. 
for each other. And so we're kind of piecing it together for each other and working with each other and learning from each other's elders. And that's how, you know, that's how it's always been is my elders aren't just my grandmothers and my grandpas and, but they're my, my elders from other tribes and my aunties and uncles from other tribes that I'm learning from. Wow. That's amazing and beautiful. And, and also like there's a piece of tragedy in having to reclaim and piece together your own history of food traditions. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't actually realize that with the colonization, some of these ways were made illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners don't really understand the depths of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that for people who have no concept of it? Yeah. Well, so when we were, so we were put onto reservations and we weren't allowed access to the rest of our territories. And so even just that, we we weren't allowed to leave our reservations for a long time. And that, and this is like speaking really generally. And so we weren't able to go into the mountains and harvest those plants up there or go hunting up there. We weren't allowed to go fishing. And that's where, you know, the bolt decision came in and kind of flip that over and that that was the start to a lot of our our food ways being restored and our rights being restored and the treaties being upheld and it was it was illegal to harvest a lot of these things and to go on any land and then with the wars happening with the world world war ii we were getting government rations or um commodity foods Mm, and that just got a lot of people you know that's where fry bread comes from. So fry bread isn't a traditional food for us, but it is a cultural food. And we were able mm-hmm. to take this lard and oil and white flour and turn it into something really delicious. And we mm-hmm. love that. You know, I, everyone loves fry <laughs> bread and Indian tacos, but mm-hmm. we were able to, with that, we we're able to make something out of a bad situation. And right. even, even, so even today though, a lot of our foods we don't have access to. So like with wow. seal, seal oil was one of our main oils that we ate with. And it, it's high uh-huh. in vitamin B vitamins and vitamin D and all these things that we needed and we need. But in the 60s, they were eating the fish from the white fishermen. And they told the, the state and they put out a bounty on on seals and they wiped out the population. And then there was the marine mammal act that made them illegal to hunt and then mm. then we're now we're not allowed to eat or hunt seals now wow so it's just this imbalance so part of it is legal where we don't have access to the mm. lands part of it is i guess a different kind of legal with with preserves and with these different acts to you know save animal populations which is good but also there's an imbalance in that because my ancestors have always been part of this landscape with everything from the mountaintops into the waterways and with the salmon and the seal that when we were moved, we weren't the only ones getting sick, eating this lard and eating this Mm -hmm. white flour and getting diabetes. We didn't have diabetes before the forties, the 1940s. And now native American populations has the highest diabetes rate. But also with that, while we were getting sick, the land was also wasn't doing well either. And you can see that with different forest structures and how, you know, with forest fires in California, it's a really great example without the traditional practice of burning, these forest fires are raging across and getting bigger and bigger every year. Where here, you know, 
our right. salmon populations were really going down before everyone realized we needed to change something and salmon have gotten a lot of attention and their populations are slowly coming back they're not maybe not mm -hmm. very much i went to a yeah. presentation from the oh gosh from the state and they were talking about oh these these salmon populations are doing better and so we're gonna like have the we're gonna keep these dams in the river on the snake river <gasps> And looking at the numbers, they were going up. But if you look at the big level, it was just barely above endangered species status. I was like, it's going up, but it's like yeah. one bad year and it's going to yeah. be endangered, you know. So we need to look at the bigger right. picture around that. I guess, I, I, yeah, so I guess, I guess your question is, yeah, we, we haven't had a lot of access to our That's foods. That's poor and, interpretation of data. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so, so that's part of my, part of what we're doing too is get more access. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the more people understand what these traditions are about and mm -hmm. how there's been this a, a ripping apart of people from the land that they've been part of and the sea that they've been part of, hopefully more people will begin to rethink some of these mm -hmm. laws. I think these laws are very inadequate. And I'm a former corporate biotech attorney, so I'm not the best person to yeah. talk about these things. I'm just now <laughs> getting interested in in learning more about this because there there isn't balance. And I think oftentimes the legislators who who make some of these laws, right? And and I'll I'll just remind our listeners that Jamestown Sklalem is its own sovereignty. Um, so when we talk about it, while these the regulation of the waters is is coming out of um, US laws, the people who are making the laws are not actually so connected with the traditions of the sovereignty of the Jamestown Sklalem, which is in locus, like they're, they're here, they have been here, they've always been here. And so to not have input on the kinds of laws that are made because of that separation, that to me strikes me as a bad way to make law, right? About land and sea and, and, and things that affect people's mm -hmm. food yeah. supply. So there's there's just like a, a problem at the origin of it in my mind. And and then I see the ripple effects of a lack of understanding, you know, even within the populations of people who who fish on the peninsula about regulations that affect fit, salmon fishing. And I think in large part it is a lack of awareness. And I, I really feel like the kinds of things that you can speak to would be really helpful in in raising this younger generation um, to have an idea that inclusion happens yeah. right through food, right? Um, and an understanding of each other's cultures mm -hmm. and, and traditions of eating. Well, that that is eye-opening and a history lesson mm -hmm. and on top of everything else. And, a, you know, a good time to really think about our accountability as a country um, in, in what happened, um, to the peoples who were here first, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So when you go into schools and you share this food, you've really talked a lot about what it means to you. And you say you focus on nettles. Do you also focus on some other foods to introduce? Cause nettles out for, for listeners who've never tried nettles. When I make them, I, I try to make them sort of taste like spinach, you know, <laughs> spinach and but they have a more floral quality to them. So they're more delicate in my mind. Spinach is, is kind of heavy, whereas mm -hmm. nettles are kind of lighter. And I don't know, the word that comes to mind is like a little bit of an angelic feeling <laughs> to the to the way that it sits on your tongue. And 
you feel lighter, I think, or I feel lighter after I have nettle tea. It just feels good. Um, but I, I don't know if you have other ways of describing nettles to, to everyone and then you know, can talk about the other things that you might also introduce. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think that was a really great description. I, I guess I haven't really tried to describe it as something else. Like, and, and that's with a lot of our different foods. Like, how do you describe this in context to something else where it's so unique, you know? Like you yeah, want, it is. But yeah, nettles are like that, a lighter and it's, and oh, they're so good. When, when yeah. we're trying to like get people like hooked on nettles, you know, mm-hmm. making a pesto is really easy out of nettles mm-hmm. and adding some nettles and some some basil too so you still have that like basil pesto taste that everyone knows but adding some nettles in there and you'll kind of get a different taste and so and same with a lot Mm -hmm. of other things you can add a little bit to different recipes just to start so you're not just here's this this new flavor in your face you know but start incorporating it slowly by slowly and then eventually you'll just be eating nettle pesto without basil in it and you'll love it you know and that and that's what we try to do with with our tribal citizens and descendants and you know anybody who wants to learn it's a good way to learn just go slowly mm-hmm. and don't try to do it all at once and mm-hmm. have a disdain for the taste and you know we bring a lot of different things in when we're when I'm teaching different groups and talk about a lot of different foods i think at Chim- in chimicum i did a class on wetlands and our foods and we, i brought in cattail and i had all the kids try cattail fresh and and you know that, that brings up that wow whole, yeah and it's, it's i i love it. it's bringing in little bits of anything like chickweed and miner's lettuce in the spring but you know also bringing in like fur tips and making it into lemonade and having that piney like lemony taste from the fur tips also in the lemonade mm. um and there's all sorts oh. of things you can just just try it. And if it didn't work, like, well, okay, I'll try something else next time. <laughs> uh, lately, though, we've been great. talking a lot about prairies in our area. And I've been doing a lot of talks on that and our foods related to prairies. You know, with we had, we had these huge prairies in Squim and in Port Townsend and Chimicum, as well as the San Juan Islands and Whidbey Island where all these foods we used to harvest and foods and medicines, but they don't exist anymore. At least not in, I, I, the only prairie I know on the peninsula is in Port Townsend next to the golf course. And it's a one little acre that has been saved. Um, and so we're trying to promote that right now. I've been doing a lot of work around that just to like, everyone go home, get some wildflower seeds from, you know, somewhere. Those are our prairie seeds. That's what those are. And plant uh-huh. a little, you know, nine foot by nine foot prairie patch. That'll nice. help. Um, yes, yeah, so we've been talking about a lot of yeah. those foods. Yeah, it's amazing when we when we think about the impact of people on lands and how, you know, there could be such devastation, not mm-hmm. you know, from the lands to the people. And I know um, I had attended one of the history mm-hmm. talks um, that was offered by Jefferson Historical Society in which the tribal historian uh, was talking about camas. Is that right? The, the sort of starchier root that is, mm-hmm. I think grows in some of these prairie lands. That's a, yeah. a really interesting, I, I mean, an interesting thing because you have to know if you can eat it, right? Because otherwise it can be toxic if it's harvested at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. So there are, are ways of knowing food that yeah. are 
really important. And and to me, I find it devastating that, wow, so that means like Camus is not available anymore in the way that it had been once, in the way that it sort of, I think, sustained people, mm-hmm. right? Really sustained large groups of people. And I think it's akin, like if people can kind of lock it in their minds, like it'd be getting rid of potatoes for Ireland, something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And well, for Sklalums, we, Camus was one of our biggest traded items, uh-huh. along with salmon and camas wow. and maybe little neck clams. Those are our top three things that we traded. We would fill okay. whole canoes full of camas. And camas is the size of like the top of your thumb, maybe from the top of your pinky or the top of your thumb, not very big. And so oh, it would wow. take a lot of work to fill up a whole canoe, like one of the, one of our big ones, you know, when we go and harvest. Mm-hmm. And that just showed, like that just goes to show like how much work we put into into these landscapes. And in school, I was also I was taught that I am a hunter gatherer from a hunter gatherer mm-hmm. culture. And that's just not mm-hmm. true. That we had a very complex agricultural system here mm-hmm. that we helped shape the, everything from the beaches to the top of the mountains. And the prairies is a really good example that without my ancestors' interaction with these prairies, they they disappear. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of Port Townsend was a prairie. And you can go through some of like the new forested areas and you could find these old growth, like hundreds and hundreds of year old growth Douglas fir trees. Mm-hmm. And they'll yeah. they're very distinct because their their branches are all craggly and things like that. But these open spaces are, you know, prime spot for trees to start growing. And why weren't they growing there? Is because my mm-hmm. ancestors went through and burned the prairies to kill off all the saplings. It also added nitrogen or added carbon to the soil and built up the built up the soil and promoted the growth of these plants. And we would go through and weed mm. and we would go through and harvest different seeds and bulbs from different places that were the you know the bigger bulbs. We wanted those because we didn't have to harvest as many of them. Uh, and so we bring those over and plant them in right. our prairies and inter- intermix the genetics of these plants. Mm-hmm. That I, I so so learning this like. And then thinking about those history lessons I had in elementary school, it's like, oh my God, it just makes me want to throw up, I guess. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I could see that. It's just, yeah, it's it's really awful the the way things have passed. You know, I think we have to be more intentional about those kinds of Mm -hmm. things. Like, how can you create more space to, I mean, I think there's, there's enough places and enough spaces to begin to regenerate, you know, it'll be piecemeal, but people first have to have the thought that it should be done. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you're the one kind of making that proclamation. It should be yeah. done. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like return to a natural state. Uh-huh. Yep. That's, that's great. Wow. The children of this area are really lucky. I'm hope, hoping at some point my son comes in contact with you yeah. because he, um, he loved, he's very good at identifying plants uh-huh. and we spent part of our summer on this um, journey out, we, we I fell in love with the River Elwa, Elwa River, um, after watching Return of the River. So I said, let's spend part of the summer out mm-hmm. there, and we we began studying um, berries and and plants, um, medicinal plants, and we kind of harvested some salal berries and thimble berries and and other things, and they're so nutrient dense. I mean, that's the thing that is so surprising i think mm-hmm. once once you start to study it and and that there's this 
we've lost a lot of connection with real food mm-hmm. in our country like, as a whole, because in these more traditional ways of eating and eating off the landscape that exists, you find that so much of what you need for longevity is already in the plants that grow naturally. And there's, there's a solution to almost every ailment in the body mm-hmm. from the land itself. And I think the, the things that I've read and, and yeah. been taught by some of your, you know, some of the people speaking from your tribe, it, it's, it's been mm-hmm. eye-opening, really eye-opening. Yeah. What, so what are you hoping for, like in terms of the students whom you impact? Do you hope that they'll continue like there's an oral tradition that goes along with this learning and I'm wondering if you're cultivating some future people like if we we can expect to see more and more mm-hmm. people teaching this way yes um that is definitely one of my dreams is to have well I don't know maybe I'll work myself out of a job so everyone will know these things and then <laughs> I can just go home and that's it you know um, I, that's going to be a long time before that comes, but, um, but that's the dream is everyone knows this information, knows what we need to know to be able to live in, within this territory and on this land in a good way that both the land and us benefit from it. And it does start with, you know, the youth that get to make decisions for the rest of their life about what, what this place is going to look like. And, you know, if they were younger and they tried that that nettle or they tried some some other plant and they're like oh well we don't need to tear this down like why don't we make this into a garden why don't we add to this and live next to it at the same time you know that's what i'm really hoping for is that as people learn this that they think about the land in a different way than than a developer would think of it and i I grew up my dad is a builder and a developer too and you know, he, he did that and I'm mm-hmm. teaching him. He's like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? You know, maybe not all like, what have I done? Right. But it's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun seeing him and having, sending him to go up, get nettles. He's like, I know where some are like, mm-hmm. they're right next to this road and blah, blah, blah. And it's up on this old logging road. I was like, be careful right next to the road. Cause you don't, mm-hmm. cause a lot of plants soak up a lot of toxins. So don't uh. harvest next to a road. But, um, mm-hmm. it's been really fun teaching him that and seeing him get excited for it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm amazed because you must be an amazing listener in terms of having learned so many things from your elders and then your elders from other tribes to kind of piece together all of this learning. And then you, you have to be a really good synthesizer of information, right. To kind of be able to guide other people. And of of course that would be you, but, but just, it takes a lot to kind of, (laughs) be a, a physical human vessel for for all of this knowledge. And, you know, in yeah. all likelihood, you probably need to write a book, Mackenzie, <laughs> you know, one that traces all these things, because I think there's an important piece to the... Yeah, and this is, this is kind of, I, I don't, I think this is kind of an inevitable for me to be who I am, you know, from a really young age, my grandma just pushed me in front of people like, oh yeah, my grandson wants to say something, you know, in front mm. of a big crowd of people. And so I've never you know, and I've learned how to speak in front of people. And that's a, just a learning experience. And I don't know if anybody's born with it, but if they have a grandma that pushes them in front of people, like <laughs> you're going to learn how to speak in front of people. And, le- and if you're learning yeah. from a storyteller, you're going to learn how to tell stories. And she's an amazing storyteller. Oh my I've... gosh. Yeah. I, I think about her stories all the time, yeah. you know, 
that's definitely what guides me mm-hmm. through my life. Nice. Yeah. And I think that connectedness um, among generations in what I've noticed, because I've, I've had the chance to work a little bit with your cousin, Lonnie, and then I've attended some of the dedication ceremonies, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, and, and wow, like that, the generational storytelling and the depth of bond is so apparent when you see your family together in any context and you see this leadership that pervades each generation, you know, it's, it's really amazing and, and hopeful. Like, I really think there's so much for everyone who is outside of Washington, outside of this Olympic Peninsula to learn from, from what your family has offered in opening up the the traditions and to, to others. And then in the spirit of collaboration, you know, with Lonnie, we collaborated in the arts with Centrum and, you know, I just, I hear a lot of it from, from different people in your tribe. And I feel lucky. I feel lucky to live on the Olympic Peninsula um, to kind of have that exposure because I have lived in other places in Wisconsin. And my father and I worked to preserve some land that had been burial grounds of uh, the Ojibwe tribe. And there, mm-hmm. there wasn't real interaction, really. There wasn't this exchange of learning and cultural awareness that is happening here. Yeah. And I think we're only at the beginning of it. And I feel like, you know, for myself with this podcast, the the subversive idea behind it, <laughs> it's not that subversive, <laughs> is, yeah, maybe we can achieve world peace, right? Maybe we can achieve world peace through food and a podcast. Mm-hmm. Because the more I understand about you, the more I understand mm-hmm. about the land, the more I understand about the foods that we eat and that we can share um, and the level of nourishment that it actually provides naturally, the more I can make choices to kind of select those mm-hmm. things, you know, to select against some of the things we're being given that is mainstream, that's on the grocery shelf and stable, you know, why not go wild mm-hmm. and go out into the forest with your family and have intergenerational yeah. conversations and study together for myself in the summertime, that was one of the greatest things mm-hmm. that we did with our son. And he can rattle off the, the different things he's you know learned about and yeah. he wants to do more. So so this is the right time. These are the right ages um, to be kind of opening up that conversation. Definitely. So you also have some other things up your mm-hmm. sleeve, food and beverage wise. Christy told me that you're developing a cidery. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us the name of it. Tell us how you came mm-hmm. to think about this and what you hope to do with it and and when we can go, right? All of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my friend Jaden Dawkin and I are starting a cidery called Two Hooligan Cidery in Squim. And it, it's been a long road to get here. And I don't think we, I don't, I didn't think we we're going to create a business right off the bat. I think our parents did because we were getting degrees in, I got my degree in cultural perspectives on conflict, and she mm-hmm. got her degree in global perspectives on human ecology. And so Mm -hmm. things that our parents didn't understand, you know, it takes a while to explain what we studied, but we made, we started making cider a long time ago. And they're like, why don't you do this? Like you can make money out of this. That's good. And we're trying it. We're like, this is really good. Like maybe we can. And they've always been that push, like do this. You can, you can, you can do whatever you want to do if you have this business and you can bring the people together, you know, 
And at that point, you know, there wasn't any dry ciders mm. on the market that we could find. It was just like Angry Orchard. And I don't, I don't want to knock Angry Orchard. They've brought the cider industry so far. Uh-huh. But then we started making our own cider and we started making more and more and giving it away. And at in university, you know, we would bring people together and we'd have, I was, I was part of like an activist group in Bellingham and we would all come together and be planning things and stuff, sitting around our cider. And I'm like, nice. how cool would this be if we turn this into a business and we can have these conversations more and more? And that's finally happening. Our cider is for sale at a few different places around Squim. I don't think it's like quite Port Townsend yet. We just barely got into Port okay. Angeles, but we're learning a ton from Finn River. Nice. Where can we and get it? So the Longhouse gas station okay. and at the Plinsa Tap Room. And then we're at a few different restaurants around Squim. So Nourish and... Oh, we're also at Agnew Grocery too. And yeah, there's there's a lot more. And I'm so thankful for everyone's support. And I can't think of it off the top of my head, but those are the ones that I can think Great. of right now. Okay. Well, we'll have to, I'll have to go out and get some. That's exciting. Yeah. But we started a cidery because we just saw all these apples going to waste. And in our cideries, mm. we just use, we use gleaned apples, which is, which means apples that, you would otherwise go to waste and we'll take those. We'll make into cider and we want to give back to our community. So we've always had that intent and we're hoping to do scholarships and do things like that. But when you taste our cider, it's just a little taste of squim, little apples from here and there. We're, we're not picky. We don't, we're not, you know, blending different kinds of apples. I don't, I don't even know how many different kinds of apples are in our cider. It's <laughs> um, great though. Yeah, and it's just been a lot of fun also just meeting the people with the with these orchards that are hundred year old orchards and we're like, hey, don't cut these down. They have use. And yeah, the the fruit's rotting yeah. underground. How about we'll, we'll take it and your orchard is gonna be this beautiful place and you're giving back to the community also. So mm-hmm. well and and that rotting process, it's fermentation, right? There's like probiotic activity happening mm-hmm. in it. Um so it's it's also about yeah. having the right lens with which to look at things, right? I always I used to um, be a chef instructor mm-hmm. for a culinary school, and we always talk about good funk. <laughs> you know, there's like mm-hmm. different things yeah. that there's like a magic to what happens at the microorganism level, and sometimes we don't really have to understand all of it. We just have to appreciate the mm-hmm. final end product. <laughs> and I think you know, cider and and beverages with fermentation often fall along those lines. But yeah, I think that's wonderful because. You know, it, it mm-hmm. speaks to this idea of food waste, right? There's, there's, it isn't real waste. It's, it's a lack of knowing mm-hmm. that there is a use for it that, you know, creates like this great libation for people. Yeah. So, so that, that comes with a certain level yeah. of inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. And one of our goals too with the cidery is not just to make alcoholic cider, but like sparkling non-alcoholic cider. So kind of like Martinelli's, but local. Nice. You know, because being indigenous, like alcoholism is has always been on my mind. Like I'm making mm-hmm. sure that I don't become an alcoholic and um, ends in my family and as well as my business partners too. And mm-hmm. we want to also create a space eventually when we have a cidery, but also create a space in other bars if there's non-alcoholic versions of something that people who don't want to drink whether it's just that night or if they are dry and they're sober, that they can go to the bar and hang out if they can do that. 
and not just get water and not just get, I don't know, coffee. They can get a drink in a pint glass and, you know, feel normal because they're just drinking something else that's delicious, right. you know. That's great. And that that's going to have to come later with, you know, with all licenses and things like that. It's a big headache, but um, we're trying to get started mm-hmm. and then that'll be coming next. So. That's wonderful. And w- what advice do you have to um, other people within your tribe or outside of your tribe who want to start a, a, a business in that involves a process like that? Because you, know, I'm sure you've learned some things already about like what to do and what not to do. Like what's the best thing you've done so far in this process you know, from a business perspective? And, and maybe what's the thing you could have done without? <laughs> definitely ask for help. I think that's the biggest, the biggest key. We, we started out by going to my tribe's economic development agency, their CEO. I think, I think that's what his title is. We were like, we want to start a cidery. What do we do? And he's like, oh, give us your, give me your pitch. And we're like, we don't have a pitch. <laughs> we're like, we like, we, we don't know what to do at all. And they're like, okay, he's laid it out. You got to do all these things and start asking people what we should do. I, and, you know, we started coming up with all these dreams, like, okay, one of these days we're going to be friends with Finn River. And then we met mm-hmm. them and now they're mentoring us. And we had all these ideas right. of what we wanted our business to be. And they're like, yeah, you can do that. Here's, we're doing it. And also here's all the resources you need to start up. So if you're, if you're trying to start something, mm-hmm. go find someone doing something similar and you might get turned down. Like we don't want the competition, but there's probably going to be somebody like, yes, we need more of these people here, you know? And I think that's definitely something that needs to happen more. It's just that collaboration between businesses. It's not, it's not a competition. Mm -hmm. If there's more of something, more people will come. Mm -hmm. I think something that we could have avoided is maybe we we took all this different advice and we like took it to heart, you know, and you do need to filter through. Some people will have bad advice and some people have better advice, you know? And so I guess that's, that's just a learning curve is like, who do we listen to if we start asking a lot of different people, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like some, some people are like charge as much as you can for whatever you can and make as much money. And like, it's for this. And then we had another person over here, like you need to make money to be sustainable and support yourself so you can do more of what you're doing. But you also need to think about the people in your community and the, the land that you're from and incorporate mm-hmm. that into your business. So you're not mm-hmm. just thinking about profits, you know? Right. So we're a triple bottom line business is the technical term. So we don't think about just profit, but it's profit people in place is what those are our bottom mm-hmm. lines. We have to support those three things. Nice. I can tell you've done a lot of learning. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but I think um, definitely your, your pitch must be very clear now. I imagine with, mm-hmm. with what you've learned. Yeah. It's exciting. I, you know, I, I've always appreciated Finn River and I can see with your backgrounds on uh, on culture and humans in ecology or human ecology. I wasn't sure about your your friend who's into oh, hooligans. Or uh, my, my degree was cultural perspectives on conflict. Oh, cultural perspectives on conflict. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one was... Um, and Jaden's global perspectives on human ecology. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've shortened mm-hmm. it. I've given you the cliff notes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, I can see, I can see you being able to have deeper conversations in both your areas of mm-hmm. study in the context of a cidery, like a physical place at some point, mm-hmm. um, because I've, I've seen the model over at Finn River and yeah. in some ways, not that you would you would have something totally different, but if you led with your own 
groundedness and identity of who you are, naturally what would erupt from that genius would be a space that would also be a container for the things you're trying to teach, right? In ways that create community. So I could see it. It's just really exciting. It's exciting to know that um, SWIM will have that opportunity Mm -hmm. in the future and that we already have the opportunity to kind of taste, taste the land already through those apples. That's exciting. So what, what would you say, what would you say are the most important things for people to remember when they're thinking about the traditional foods of Jamestown Scotland? Like if you had to only, if you had to reduce it down to like the top five things that you, you want people to really understand, you know, that like maybe these are the kernels that would open up their minds to something brand new for them or could be a game changer, not a game changer, but like a life changer in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. reconciling some of the things of the past that that are have been painful. So in that top five, in those two directions, something that would just be life-changing for the person and then something that would be transformative in terms of healing, you know, repairing what's been taken and, and, and lost. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that healing starts with like education and knowing that it's not our tribe's responsibility to do that education. Like, yes, we have, you know, like that's part of what I'm doing is educating people. But if I'm the only person that you're listening to, like, that's not enough. Right. I'm what I'm really trying to do is spark interest and get people curious. So they go home and they can do, they can study more. So after this conversation, if you're listening to this, I hope you're really curious and you look up some of the things we're talking about and, and start doing your own like search of what, what, what's happened on this land and then start planning and start having that dialogue with people around you about what do you want it to look like? Yeah. I, I think, I think that's the biggest thing that I would want people to take away is just mm. educate yourselves, go and find the people who are, who are willing to share knowledge and listen to them and, find guidance and then share that with, with your friends and your family, encourage them to do the same. Mm-hmm. Cause it's only through that is it's only through these conversations that we're going to have change. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like really good advice for anybody here on the Olympic Peninsula and elsewhere. If you are mm-hmm. <laughs> within reach of other cultures that are indigenous, I think, you know, what has happened here has happened elsewhere mm-hmm. and there's a new mindfulness, I think, that, you know, anyone who is a citizen here or of a tribe, you know, we've got some repairing to do. We've got some real understanding to cultivate. And, you know, it's it's hard for people. And and I, I think it's a grace that you teach. You know, it, it could easily go so differently. There could there could, in the alternative, be more animosity and less sharing, but that you've chosen this path forward mm-hmm. is is really just a benefit to everyone. And I do hope, I do hope more people kind of take up that responsibility. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's definitely been a journey for me. There's definitely been a lot of times in my life where I had that animosity, maybe even not too recently, but it, I am just so fortunate to have my mentors and my elders that I can shift that animosity or I can help teach people so that what happened to me to cause that animosity and cause that anger that, that that doesn't happen to other people in my community. And so what if, what if I can just kind of be a divert people around, like show them something, go after that, you know, 
because there are a lot of people in my mm-hmm. community that have that and and that's very justified right yeah yeah but hopefully i can do a little bit to to alleviate some of that for them and you know teach non-natives about some of that also yeah and when you think about the the justified part of it i think when people can let go of justified anger is when they see the possibility of justice, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. justice is only created through people engaging with each other and beginning to learn how do we move towards repair and healing, you know, like to model what happens with the land and the fruits of the land and the the plants of the land as, as, as those things heal mm-hmm. us, I think. It becomes part of our body, right? The food that we eat, if we become more part of the land itself, we have greater awareness and greater understanding. One of the things I always ask our guests on Food Love is help me reimagine home economics in public schools and, and, you know, the possibility of Mm -hmm. some kind of culinary arts program in any school. What recipe would you bring into a course like that and understanding that what we want to do is build cultural awareness, build a level of knowledge around food and empathy through this sharing of food and the understanding of culture and history around food. What would you share from, from the traditional foods that you like to eat, right? That would engage a youngster. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, and I think this is kind of starting to happen already. It's like with, you know, different farming programs at the school that it's not just making the food, it's, but it's about growing it and harvesting it. And I would just, you know, maybe want to take that to the next level, even before you start cooking is going out and harvesting it and going out and seeing where it grows naturally and bringing that back. And, mm. you know, and I, I think with schools where they are, you know, if you can't do a field trip out into the woods every for every class, that's okay. But there's a lot of foods that grow around that are native foods like chickweed and miner's lettuce that probably grow right outside the door, you know. So just looking for those plants that are already there, that are already mm. part of that. Even dandelion, you know, might not be native, but it's it's here now. Oh yeah. It it was um in in this time, like seasonally, in in the winter time. What would we be able to find if we were to forage for something? Earlier, we could have maybe found mushrooms. Now, I think most of the mushrooms are probably mm-hmm. not as available. But what what would you forage now if you went out there? Yeah, well, like right now, it's like the very beginning of spring. And so you got all these little spring greens coming up. So it's the perfect time to have a good spring salad. So there's those minor lettuce, there's that chickweed, but there's also... okay. Indian plum leaves. And now that they're really young, they taste like cucumbers. And when, when they get a little bit older, they'll taste like cucumber skin, so a lot more bitter. Oh. But there's a lot, there's all these little buds on plants mm-hmm. right now that those make delicious salads and just mix them in with some, you know, regular salad greens okay. that you can get at a store. And then you have a traditional salad, you know, at least somewhat. Okay. And if we are looking for that, like, for example, if I were to try and go out with my son Mm -hmm. um, to find those leaves, would you recommend a specific book or a website that would help us find the right images? Um, Or would we have to come talk to you? Which we could. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or do you have a a workshop coming up or something? Yeah. We don't have any current workshops. You know, we're trying to stay safe and make sure that, you know, we're not 
getting into bigger groups, but there, you know, like the Pojar McKinnon book, Northwest yeah. Plants, I think it's called, is a really great book for these, for identification. And then we also have a website called Sklalem Traditional Foods, where maybe not the best for identification, but there are some recipes on there. If you go out, you know, if you have a plant that you see, and we have some recipes, we're trying to fill it in more and more, but, um, you know, see what, see what we have to offer too. And there's, there's a ton of different books, but that, those are the ones I use. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And you were just about to give us the, the one recipe you would want to contribute in maybe. I'm I'm not Uh sure if you were about to talk about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I've just been thinking about nettles this whole conversation. And last year I had a lemon balm nettle cake and it was so good. And it's, you know, it's fun, you know, it, you know, it's sweet and it's a cake. Everyone loves cake, but it also has nettle in it too. So it's a good way to get people's Mm -hmm. taste going and try something new. That's also very comforting and very, you know, normal or, you know, normal in quotes. Familiar. What you can find. And it's so good. And I'm so excited. Nettles are just starting to come up. They need to be a little bit bigger to harvest, but that's going to be one of the first things I make. Wow. Well, I think I'm going to make that too. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say, should I try to maybe link to that? Is that on your um, web, on the website for the tribe? You know, it's not. Or is it something I should should try to get on there to share with me? I think while Victoria is, I forget. I forget the person's name, but it's out of Victoria, BC. Um, and she's a harvester and a, has a bunch of different recipes, but um, Gather Victoria, one of those, something okay. like that. Um, and that that's where this recipe okay. comes from. It's her. Okay. And yeah, it's it's so good. Wonderful. And may, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll link it on our website under Nettles. Okay, and, well, we'll be sure to yeah. help people find that. Otherwise, I can create a recipe card with your name on it and the tribe's name on it, mm-hmm. um, depending on how you want to do it, whatever's easiest and and, and yeah. clear for people. That's wonderful. I'm super excited. This has been such a great talk. There's so much more that I need to learn. I know that. And I'm sure other listeners feel the same way. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that more and more people learn and understand these traditional ways of eating. It really strikes me as like the epitome mm-hmm. of what it means to understand the land to you know understand food love yeah. of the purest form um that space between terroir and the Tao of food so thanks so much Mackenzie um and good luck with your cidery I'm super excited to try your cider now that I know it's available yeah, in thank places. you so much yeah thank you and mm-hmm. um please let us know whenever there's a time past the pandemic, hopefully, um, to gather um, yeah. in a space and learn more from you. Thank you. Yes, I will definitely, definitely let everyone know. And thank you for everyone who's listening. And thank you for the chat. And I hope, hope everyone's more curious now. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you.